0: But the sermon, we're mainly going to be in uh, Hebrews 11 and Matthew 6 this morning. So if you may want to mark both of those off, I'm going to be reading Hebrews 11, verses 6 and 7. Hebrews eleven six and 7. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open up these texts to us this morning. That we would all taste this morning and see that you are good. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to take uh, two weeks here before we jump back into Luke. Uh, I've, uh, over the last five weeks, the Lord has been uh, showing me some neat things that I couldn't help but share with you. And I want to preach to you. Um, And so that's why uh, we're not going to jump immediately into Luke. We will here in a few weeks. Uh, I want to begin this morning by causing you to wonder and asking you if you've been guilty of believing the biggest lie in the world has has your normal day recently been lived in such a way and that you're believing the biggest lie there's ever been in the history of the world I wonder if you've been self-deceived now listen nobody thinks they're deceived almost ever you always think you're right Other people are deceived, but me, I'm asking you this morning, now, right now, to lose confidence, self-confidence, that you've just been nailing it, but that you may have been living as though you are living according to the biggest lie there is self-deceived, tricked by Satan, or tricked by the world. Here's the question I have for you. Do you believe that your life is mainly a battle against flesh and blood? The details of your day, the people around you, do you believe that that is what your life mainly consists of? Have you been getting up in the morning and basically been thinking about those things and have been therefore living your life according to them. The apostle Paul didn't believe that, that our battle is against flesh and blood. Here's what he believed. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic Powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul knew that his normal everyday life was not mainly what it seemed to be, but it was a spiritual battle. I wonder if you've been remembering that truth. If you haven't been, maybe you've been falling to the biggest lie there's ever been. Here's how the lie comes to you. It's not a statement, it's a question. Is God really good? Have you thought about that question? This is the satanic question. I believe it's probably the most asked question in the heart of man, daily. Is God really good? I talked to a biblical counselor named uh, Jim Fain in Indianapolis, and he told me, Sam, everyone you counsel is coming in because they got a problem and their main struggle of the heart is they're coming in doubting God's goodness. Every one of them in light of their circumstances, the biggest battle of their heart is to believe that in light of the circumstances, God is good. Adam and Eve believed the lie that God isn't good. And they lived in a beautiful garden with plenty of food, with a perfect marriage and with perfect fellowship with God. All their circumstances were so much better than our circumstances and yet they fell to the satanic lie. And yet, how much more difficult is it for us? How can God be good in sight of all the pain and suffering and strife we see in this world tornadoes hurricanes floods blizzards earthquakes tsunamis hunger AIDS malaria heart disease cancer strokes war genocide abuse racism abortion drugs evil people in power in influential places, let alone all that is going on inside the human heart, worry, anxiety, depression, anger, a heart that wants to steal, that covets, that envies, that fears man, that desires to please man, hearts full of adultery and addictions such as pornography, drunkenness, drugs, gluttony, exercise, body image, anorexia, bulimia, addictions to phone, addictions to work. And Satan, a spiritual power, comes and says, Is God really good? Genesis 3, here's how the lie first came into the world. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What did God actually say? God said you can eat from every tree in the garden except one. Why is this question being asked? What's the goal of the question? To doubt God's goodness. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, (laughs) <laughs> oh, that oh, that old God. You shall sh- not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, her flesh craved it, that it was a delight to the eyes, Something good that God was holding back from her and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Oh, God wants all the knowledge. He doesn't want me to have it. Then she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Eve went with her gut feelings She was following her feelings about God and about her situation. Difficult circumstances make this temptation to believe the lie great. How can God be good in light of this thing? Are you kidding me? All-powerful? sovereign over all things, and this happened? Has God fallen asleep? Is not God good? Have you fallen for the lie? Have you been believing the lie and living according to it? Second question I have for you that I want you to ask yourself is have I been living my life motivated by the goodness of God or according to the roller coaster of my feelings about my circumstances? How do you live your life? What do you follow? What causes action in you? Your gut feelings? As you look at the circumstances and this makes me feel scared, this makes me feel sad, this... How have you been living your life? If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to begin by looking at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. And this is the famous faith chapter of the Bible where the writer of Hebrews remembers those who have lived with this great faith. And we're going to pick up in verse 5 where we read, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, who is this Enoch? We would have to go back to Genesis chapter 5. You don't need to go there. But God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll surely die. And the genealogy in Genesis 5 is showing us that death came to mankind because of sin. You read things like in verse 8 of Genesis 5, thus were the days of Seth, the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And then in verse 11, thus are the days of Enosh, are the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Verse 14, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. And then Mahalalel, and he died, and Jared, and he died. And then in verse 23, we read this. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Hmm. Is that how someone would describe your life? He walks with God. He walks with God. She walks with God. What do we make of this? Why does the writer of Hebrews draw on Enoch's faith? And then we read in verse uh, six. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. What did Enoch know? Enoch pleased God because he walked with him. He walked with him because of his faith in God's goodness. You go walk with that which which is good. And therefore, he was rewarded by avoiding death. Enoch walked with God because he thought God was good. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. For whoever would draw near to God must, mark that word, must. If you're going to walk with God, you must believe two things, that he exists And not only that he exists, but he's the rewarder of those who seek him. If you don't believe that, you won't walk with him. This biblical counselor is telling me, here's the thing, Sam, the Bible, God's word, God himself revealed in God's word is what everyone needs in the midst of their problems. But why are they going to go read the Bible if they don't believe God's good? Why are they going to draw near to God and walk with him if they don't believe God's good, your biggest problem, the biggest hurdle, is to help them believe that God is who He says He is in the scripture. If you don't believe He exists, you won't walk with Him. You'll pretend like He doesn't exist. You'll live your life like the rest of the world. Someone struggling with pornography. You ask them, don't you believe God is omnipresent everywhere at all times? Well, yeah, sure I do. Oh, really? When was the last time you looked at pornography in front of a bunch of people? No, you look at pornography when you're alone because you think no one's there, and guess what? You're doubting the existence of an omnipresent God when that doesn't bother you. You're not believing that of all people that could be in the room, God, your creator's in the room with you. And you're also doubting that God has good things for you. That's why you're going and stealing someone's daughter or wife to try to get pleasure in a way that God's holding out on you. Saving faith is believing God exists. And that he's the rewarder of those who seek him, I wonder how many believe that God exists, but by their life show that they don't believe that God is good, that he's a rewarder. see you go do where you think reward is you everybody's seeking. Goodness. Where do you think goodness is found? And then we get all these examples. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He was already rich. He's going to leave everything he has to Follow God's word. Verse 9 says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. They left their home to live in tents in a foreign land because of a promise. Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. Every other city is built and destroyed, built and destroyed. But Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. (laughs) What kind of city would that be? He was looking forward. And then in verse 13 says, speaking of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, they saw them though, and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Here's what they said. This place is not my home. I'm a stranger down here in this world, but I see you. I see you. Hello, promise. I greet you from afar. I'm living in tents in a foreign land. Haven't seen all my promises come true. I greet you because the builder of that city, which is my home, is God. And then verse 14 says people who speak like that thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. They're not at home. They're seeking a homeland. That word seeking, seeking, walking with God. He who seeks God, he who wants to walk with God believes that home is somewhere else. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, if they were thinking of that as home, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They desire reward that is better. They believe God is a rewarder. And even if my circumstances don't show it, if he said it, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to follow his word. And then we read in verse sixteen: Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. What what more precious thing did Isaac or did Abraham on the have on this earth except his son Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. <laughs> Abraham was able to function in the most un. Uh, comprehensible circumstances because he believed God was good trust me he couldn't figure out the whys God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac and then in verse 24 we read this by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to be called son the son of Pharaoh's daughter he said no I'm not son of the royalty no I'm not I don't have all those benefits. That's not who I am. Who would do that? If you were a family of the king with all benefit, who would be refused to be attached to that family? Well, Moses did. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. You know what? Perfect life, mistreated as a slave I'm going to choose this mistreated as a slave why why would he do that how would he do that what did he know well if you read on it says he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He knew sin offered joy, but it's called the fleeting pleasures of sin. Joy for a little bit, and then it goes away, and you're in a worse position than when you started. He knew that. And then he knew this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt the greatest nation in the world the reproach of Christ that's better than all the treasures of Egypt how could he do this for he was looking to the reward look at verse 26 he was looking to the reward he said going God's way brings more reward None of these were able to look at their circumstances and conclude that God was working good for them. None of them could look at their circumstances and say God was working good for them. For they all died not having received the fullness of the reward. Noah, for the majority of his life, gets mocked as he works on his seemingly impossible job building this ark and more than likely had never reigned up to that point. And this immense amount of work that you're working on every day, you're also getting mocked while you're doing it. Moses leaves the riches and pleasures of royalty to identify with abused slaves. They all knew that God was a rewarder. They all had saving faith. I wonder if you've been believing the lie. Has something this world has to offer you been looking better, therefore taking up your thinking time, your action time, your efforts, your money? Could you be deceived? Could it be that you have been being deceived, even as a Christian, starting to doubt whether God's good by lining up the circumstances, could that be true? I want to end, bring the great conclusion to this sermon. I want to give the words to Jesus. I want Jesus to tell you about his dad. About his father, or the way Jesus says it to Christians, our father. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. What's Jesus going to talk about? Most people say this is the greatest sermon ever preached, it's the longest one recorded that we have in the scriptures from Christ. What is he saying in it? What's the main thrust of it? What's the main point of it? Well, it starts out pretty weird. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 2, we read, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, or happy are the poor in spirit. This is a weird sermon goes against what you would think someone would say for theirs is the kingdom of heaven those who are poor in spirit who realize I have no spiritual riches I'm totally a beggar I'm poor that's that's this word I'm a beggar those who know they're a beggar guess what For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that which which they don't have, righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The sermon is about God's reward For these weird people that down here on this earth are mourning, yet they're happy. They're comforted by God. Who have nothing, they're poor, but they inherit the world. This is how it starts out. And then in Matthew 5.46, Jesus is teaching them to love their enemies. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? How are you going to get reward? Are you going to love the people that are good to you and pay pay you back? Give you money? Give you influence? Is that how you're going to live in this world? It's how everyone else lives. And then turn to chapter 6. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. We're going to do this in very fast fashion. If I was going to ask you, what is Matthew chapter 6 about? And you were to look in your Bible, you might answer this, giving to the needy, the Lord's prayer, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, and do not be anxious. Because those are the titles. And I would say to you, wrong. It's not what Matthew chapter 6 is about. Those are all illustrations about the main point, which is Jesus basically saying, my dad is awesome. He's good. If only you could know my father, if you would remember what he's like. So let's look at it. Look at verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you'll have no reward from my Father who is in heaven. Two ways to live. You can live your life to show yourself a good person in front of other people so they say, oh, you're such a good person and that feels so good. There's reward in that. But you're not getting God's reward. You're, you, you decide where you want reward from. Do you want it from God or do you want it from the world Jesus says thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others some people think reward is having people praise them truly I say to you they've received their reward but when you give to the needy don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He exists when you can't see Him, but you know He sees in secret? Do you believe that He's a rewarder? And then look at verse 5. When you pray... You must not pray like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the father who is in secret. Before he said he sees in secret. Now he says, go into that room, shut the door And pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Once again, get up in the morning, tackle the day in your own strength, in your own power, get the reward the world has to offer or go into the room, shut your door. See, there's two ways we can do this. Okay, I guess I won't pray in public where people think I'm good. I guess I'll go in that room and I'll shut the door, and no one will know. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my Father's in there. My Father's in there. And He will reward you. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be, being Jesus, living in perfect fellowship with His Father, knowing how great His Father is, and all the people around you are basically doubting your Father's goodness? I think this is what's driving this sermon. And then we get to verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for my Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Oh, my Father, He knows what you need. Settle down. You don't have to impress Him with a lot of words. Pray like this, our Father. Those are the sweetest words in the world. Jesus' Father, when you're trusting Christ, you can call, he calls our Father. He's your Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not praise to me. It's not what makes me feel good. (laughs) It's remembering I'm created to praise you, let you get the glory. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know my needs. You're the one who feeds me. Forgive us our debts. You're the one who forgives me. As we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're the one that's going to protect me spiritually. What type of father we pray into? And then he says, if, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here's why. If you don't forgive other people, you've never tasted of his forgiveness. You've never tasted of the reward of Christ. Those who tasted of the reward of Christ are full, and now they can love their enemies. They for, can forgive other people in light of God's love for them. And then he says, so here's what he's been saying don't get your reward from people thinking good of you. What I call pingbacks. We kind of live for people to give us a good response, makes us feel so good. But that's fleeting. You know, you get on Facebook, and oh, I hope, see how many likes I get on this one. Oh, that feels good. Oh, so and so got 500 more. I better get a better picture together and redo my profile. Feel so good if someone says something good to me. It's how the world lives. And now he says, don't live to get reward from the things of the world, not just the praise of the world, the things of the world. He's transitioning a little bit in verse 25. I mean, 19. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want your heart with your treasures on earth or with your Savior in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Where do you want your heart? Where's the better place for it to rest? Where's more reward going to come from? And then he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Where do you see treasure? Do you look at the things of this earth and go, Whoa, that looks like great reward. What would it be like to have a house like that? To not have bills like I have? They have no worries. They have all this stuff. Boy, oh, these eyes are putting darkness and lies into my heart. But if your eyes are good, if you see God as your treasure, as your reward, light comes in to your body. Spiritual truth and reality and saneness comes to the person. And then he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's my question this morning. How great is the darkness inside you? How much of your eyes been looking at the things of this world and circumstances saying if these could change, reward would come? Or how much of your life has been believing that no matter what my circumstances do, in Christ,'m my reward is secure in heaven. and then he says, "No one can serve two masters <laughs> at any one time you're either going to do one or the other. No one can serve two masters. you'll either hate the one or love the other or be devoted to the one despise the other. you can't serve God in money. When you're finding your treasure down here on earth, you're not finding it in God. It's a fact. You're not. But when you're finding your treasure in heaven, you're not finding it on earth. The spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other, Paul says in Galatians. They're opposites. And then he says this. He's writing this to believers. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink, nor about the body what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. (gasps) What if the world just believed those two things? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's good. He feeds the birds. He feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of they which of you can add it by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life when well, why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet i tell you even solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if god so clothes the grass of the field which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you? See, Jesus is just saying, you got to know my father is good. You keep buying the lie that Adam and Eve bought. Listen to my sermon. Listen to what God's like. Then he says, oh, you of little faith. How that must have hurt Christ, frustrated Christ to see us doubt the goodness of his father. O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, the non-believers do. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's what he's saying. Are you waking up in the morning and going to get all these things, trying to secure your life, trying to secure your reward and your own power? How exhausting. That's what the world does. Remember who my father is. He knows you need him all. But seek first the kingdom of God. There's that word seek. Seek. If you're going to seek him, you must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient. The day is its own trouble. Here's what Jesus says. This would be a lot of troubled days in your life. But my God, my Father is good. He knows what you need. It's comforting in John 16:33 that Jesus says, I said these things to you that you may have peace. He told them he's going to leave them, ascend into heaven, and then he says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. The Bible never told you that your life on earth was going to be easy. If it did, throw this thing away and never read it again. You see, when Satan comes and says, you really think God loves you? Look at this circumstance and this circumstance and this bill and that thing and this thing. You really think God's good? What did God ever say to us? Jesus said, Deny yourself, take up your cross. Suffering comes first, then comes glory. Jesus says, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't believe the lie that God isn't good. Because you can't look at your circumstances and add them up. Worldly reward. Look at the bottom of your notes. Worldly reward is visible, instant, self-indulgent, easy on the flesh, popular, but temporary, and brings separation from God's goodness. Reward from God is seen by faith. You must wait for it. It's self-denying. It's hard on the flesh. It brings reproach, but it's eternal and brings the presence of the goodness of God. You know, nobody gets rid of the presence of God. Hell is the presence of God's wrath for all eternity. Heaven is the presence of God in His goodness as you're in His family and you're adopted into His family as children of God. Jesus' sermon is saying, don't you know how great my Father is? 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We can't get to God because of our sin, but Jesus Christ, the righteous one, dies for the unrighteous so that you can be brought to God your greatest reward. Tim Keller says, The cross tells you what the reason for your suffering isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you, that he has no plan for you. Here's the thing. You can have no confidence from the Bible that you're going to understand why your circumstances work out the way they do. Just read Job. Job doesn't get to see behind the curtain and figure out why he suffered the way he suffered. He doesn't get answers to all the why questions, but he knew the answer to one why, one question. He knew that God was good. God revealed that to him, that God is good, and that's all he needs to know. So you can stop looking at the sum total of your circumstances and trying to calculate whether God's good or not. You can stop that. You can stop seeking the answers to the whys of your sufferings other than that the Bible says God's good. He works all things together for good to those who love him and good is being conformed to the image of God and suffering sometimes is necessary to conform us into the image of Christ. But what a relief to be able to rest in a God that's good and not have to get all the wise answer. What reward do we have in Christ? You see, when God did the hardest thing to do for you, took the most valuable thing he had, his own son, in love sent him to the earth to take on flesh and die on the cross, suffered more than any other other human being, you don't have to figure out your suffering. You just have to know that Christ suffered more than anyone else, And God sent him because he loves you. And God has come to rescue us in Christ. If we'll cling to our only hope, if we believe God's our rewarder, our great reward is Christ, our righteousness. If you trust in him by faith, if you cling to him, if you believe he exists and you believe he's a rewarder and you say, that's where my hope is, you cling to that, you'll be born again your sins taken away, his righteousness given to you. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist says. Jesus says, taste and see that my father is awesome. That's my prayer. Father, help us not be deceived by the deceiver, by our own hearts, by the ways of this world. But Father, I pray that the truth of God's word would show us where true reward lies. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.